my brothers and sisters. I'm hoping that I don't offend any of you by assuming that most of you have probably visited Las Vegas. If you have, if you have been to Las Vegas, you probably have seen these people on a billboard. This is Penn and Teller, a famous magical duo. They put on these uh, awesome uh, high production value uh, performances. The, they're illusionist ma magicians, and they do a really great job. Uh, they're one of Las Vegas's greatest attractions. The taller one is named Penn Gillette, and not only is he famous for being this great illusionist magician performer, he's also very famous for being one of the most ardent, passionate, outspoken atheists in our country in the last 10 or 20 years. Which is why you might find this next quote shocking. So this is from him. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. And proselytize means uh, going up to a person and saying, hey, you need to believe what I believe. So Christians, we usually call it evangelize. It has a nicer little tone to it. But proselytize, basically go, going up to someone and saying, hey, you need to believe what I believe. He's saying, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And again, this is coming from one of the most outspoken atheists that we've seen in a while. Really makes you think, doesn't it? I think, I think Pendulette would have a lot of respect for John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he uh, wore animal skins, uh, ate locusts and uh, wild honey, lived in the desert. He was the, a prophet that came just before Jesus did. And he would respect John the Baptist, I know it, because John the Baptist cared so much about his people that he was willing to tell them exactly where they were headed if they didn't change their ways. Hell. But he also pointed them to a Savior that was good enough that because of his sacrifice, he could make them okay with God. And most importantly, he offered the gospel in a way that was universally understandable and comprehensible and powerful enough that the Holy Spirit could enter the heart and acceptance from God could be achieved. What is that way? Baptism. And in baptism especially in Jesus' baptism, in the context of Jesus's, or excuse me, John the Baptist's harsh words, we see what baptism is, what it, exactly it is, and exactly what it does. Specifically, that baptism brings fire. Now, I can't stress to you how different John the Baptist was. It wasn't just his, his, his smell or his demeanor or his lifestyle. No, what really made John the Baptist different was his teaching. John the Baptist didn't peddle this, well, just do your best and God will do the rest. Just try a little harder, obey a little better message that the Pharisees were teaching. John the Baptist taught sin and grace, heaven and hell, deep, angry, fire and brimstone law and sweet, relentless gospel. And he didn't, he didn't neglect either. 
And, and John the Baptist, his teaching was so different, and people were shocked by this. It was completely revolutionary that, that God would forgive me, not because I'm good, but because he is. And people actually began to wonder, well, is this John the Baptist, is he the guy? Is he the Messiah? And they weren't trying to be blasphemous. They, they just had never been in the, the presence of a real prophet before. And of course, John the Baptist completely shoots this down. And he actually goes as far as to say, not only am I not him, but I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandals, which was a job designated for the lowliest slave, to go to someone after they've been walking around in 90-degree weather and dirt roads and unstrap the sandals off of their dirty, sweaty, nasty, smelly feet. And John the Baptist is saying, I'm not even good enough to do that. And so John the Baptist sees Jesus, actually his relative, and he sees not just his master, not just his boss, he sees his God. And what does this Jesus do? Well, John tells us he brings fire. You see, John the Baptist, he baptizes, you know, he can put the water on the head and he can say the words, but the power behind baptism, the fire of the Holy Spirit, and that's something that only Jesus, Jesus can give. And now understand, John's not saying that there's two baptisms. There's not a John baptism and a Jesus baptism, and if you've only been baptized by John. No, no, no. He's saying that there is one baptism, but two people at work in baptism. John is the visible, the one applying the water. But then through that water, Jesus is applying the fire, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And what does this Jesus do? He also brings the fire. Except in this next part, John's not talking about the fire of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the fire of hell. And he uses a picture that everyone would have understood in an agricultural society. Everyone, especially in that area, there are a lot of grain farmers, a grain, a wheat and barley. And what you would do is you would gather up all the grain and put it on your threshing floor, this, this slab of floor, and there was only one wall. And you had to separate the grain, the kernels that you made your bread with, from the husks that were outside, the chaff. You have to separate the wheat and the chaff because they can't go together. It's going to make bad bread. So what you did was you had your pitchfork and you lifted it up and then you threw it in the air. And the wind would blow the chaff against the wall and the wheat, because it was a lot heavier than the chaff, would fall on the floor. He separates the wheat from the chaff. And John is saying, yeah, Jesus is going to do that except with people. And the wheat... The good, the people that belong to Jesus, well, they don't have no, anything to worry about. They're going to fall on the floor, no problem. But the chaff, the people that don't belong to Jesus, well, Jesus is going to do what any farmer would do with chaff. You have to burn it. Except this fire doesn't really end. And you see what John is doing, right? He, he's he's kind of using a play on words. Jesus brings the fire. He brings the fire of the Holy Spirit through the waters of baptism. And he brings the fire of hell. John is saying that Jesus damns people to hell. Which is really odd for us because we usually picture Jesus as the nice guy with the little lamb in his, his arm and the shepherd's crook or, or this Jesus laughing with all the kids crawling over him. And, and that's legit. That's true. But John makes it clear, Jesus also damns people to hell. And if you're really honest with yourself and you understand how people are and the horrible things that have been said and done by people and by yourself, you, you really realize that Jesus has every right to do that. Which is why this next part is so strange. 
Because as people are being baptized so that they don't go to hell, Jesus comes and requests to be baptized. Why on earth would he need to be baptized? He's not sinful. He doesn't have any sins that need to be forgiven. Why is he asking to be baptized? Especially when John is trying to tell these people, hey, you need to repent and be baptized so that you don't go to hell. And now Jesus, the one who has the power to send people to hell, wants to be baptized? What's going on? Well, John, okay, agrees to do it. And Jesus is baptized, and what happens? The heavens are torn apart. And the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, comes and lands on Jesus' shoulder. And the voice from heaven booms for everyone to hear it. This is my son. I love him. And I am pleased with him. And see, Jesus' baptism wasn't so that his sins could be forgiven because he didn't have any sins to forgive. Jesus' baptism was his anointing. In the same way that David in the Old Testament was anointed with oil to set him apart by God so everyone could see that he is special, he is different. Jesus was baptized, he was anointed, and he was set apart. God the Father is telling everyone he is different. The Holy Spirit is showing everyone he is with us. God and the Father and the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, everyone who sees, he's who he says he is. He's one of us. Jesus' baptism is his anointing, setting him apart as God. But but remember what I said. When someone is anointed, it doesn't just set them apart. It also appoints them for a job. David wasn't only set apart, he was appointed to be king over Israel. And so Jesus was anointed, he was set apart as God, but he was also appointed for a job. And what was that job? To be the answer to that burning problem in your hearts and in the hearts of everyone who heard, the, heard John the Baptist's horrifying words. That when Jesus comes and separates the wheat and the chaff, I'm going to be exposed. That I'm really a piece of chaff. And the one who has the power to send me into the eternal fire is here. I'm doomed. And Jesus is being anointed, appointed, to be the answer to that problem. The executioner is being appointed to be the one to cast himself into the fire instead by going to the cross and suffering the wrath of God. The judge is also being appointed as the convict. The one anointed to be the priest that makes the sacrifice is also being appointed to be the sacrifice. The one anointed and appointed to be God is also being appointed to be the one to stand in lines with sinners, to stand in front of the judgment of God and to take it on himself. And so that sinners, scared, doomed sinners, could look at God himself and say, he's one of us. And that is what Jesus' baptism means. And now Jesus wants all of you, specifically you, Mike and April, to see why your baptism is so important and so beautiful. Because your baptism saves you from fire. Notice this text. It's short, but there's so much in there. Because in this text, we see something that no human eyes had ever seen before. An insight into the Trinity. 
the Trinity. God reveals himself as, as three in one, three distinct persons, yet one God, not to be mushed together, but not to be separated. One God, three persons, not understandable. But we see here an insight into how the Trinity works. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The God the Father is always praising and showing love to his Son. God the Son is humbling himself and submitting himself to the will of his Father, even though he's in every single way equal to his Father. And the Holy Spirit is coming down and comforting and abiding with the Son. We see, we see here that God, in his essence, is a relationship. A relationship built on love and respect and service. And when you are baptized, you are brought into a relationship with the great relationship. When you are baptized, the Holy Spirit comes down and rests, not on your shoulder, but in your heart. When you are baptized, Paul says that you are literally clothed with Christ. So that when the Heavenly Father looks at you, he doesn't see your past, he doesn't see your flaws, he doesn't see your mistakes. He sees the perfection, the perfect record of his Son. And so when you are baptized, the Father looks at you and says, you are my child. You are the one I love. With you, I am well pleased. Baptism saves from fire. Well, baptism also brings fire. In the Old Testament, uh, fire was often used not for the fire of hell. That's not usually what Old Testament people thought of when they thought of fire. When Old Testament people thought of fire, they thought of the presence of God. And think about it, fire is immaterial. You can't grab it. At the same time, fire is warm. It gives you light in the darkness, and it's necessary to survive. Yet, fire is not safe. You're right, don't get too close or else you're going to get burnt. And God uses fire as a picture for himself. And when he approaches Abraham and makes his covenant with him, he, ap- he appears as a flaming pot of fire. And the most famous instance, maybe you know about it, is when God reveals himself to Moses. How does he come as a bush that's on fire that doesn't burn up? And when God leads the children of Israel from Egypt to uh, the promised land, he comes as a flaming uh, pillar of fire. And when you are baptized, John makes it clear that the fire of the presence of the Holy Spirit comes into your heart. In a way, you're kind of like a burning bush. The immortal, the immaterial, the thing that should burn you up comes and rests in you. That you have the immortal God resting in your heart. And what does that immortal God do? He creates you to be what you were meant to be. He creates faith that trusts and hopes in God's promises, faith that connects you to Jesus. That is what baptism does. And there's a lot more things that we could talk about, uh, but there, there's two major applications that I want all of you to take home with you. The first one, there is only one person whose opinion truly matters in your life. There's only one who really decides whether or not you are wheat or chaff, innocent or guilty, worthless or priceless, and that's God. And his opinion of you is infinitely more important and infinitely more accurate than the opinion of you held by your Instagram followers, your Facebook friends, your children, your spouse, or even your own opinion of yourself. 
And if you go throughout life so obsessed over, oh, what's his opinion of me? Oh, what, is, what do they think about me? Do they like me? Well, not only are you going to be miserable, but you're going to be a shallow friend. You're going to be a, a horrible parent. And you're going to be an exhausting spouse. Your baptism means that the only opinion that truly matters, the one who, whose opinion is the most important, he delights in you. He's ravished by you. You don't have anything to prove to anyone. You don't need to make anyone like you because you have all the approval and acceptance that you could possibly ever need. And, and now, because of your baptism, instead of asking the question, well, how can I make that person like me? How can I make you like me? The question that you ask that is the foundation of every single one of your relationships is how can I serve you in the way that Christ served me? And the second application that I want to make, you know, John makes it really, really clear. And then Jesus also makes it really, really clear. Hell is not just something that scary fire and brimstone preachers talked about in, in the 60s, but now we're like past that. No, hell is real. Hell is absolutely 100% real and is absolutely 100% eternal. And right now, there is probably someone, probably even someone's people in your life that if they continue to go down the road that they're going, will end up in hell and will suffer and be tortured forever in the fires of hell. Do you care about that person? God does. Desperately. That's why he's put you into their life. When you were baptized, you weren't just set apart by God to be his holy child. You were anointed, appointed to be his instrument of good and hope and grace and the gospel in this dark world. You were appointed to be his light, to tell people about his love and what he has to offer them. And it might be awkward. In fact, it probably will be. And maybe some people might think you're intolerant. Maybe some people won't want to be around you. It's the truth. It has to be said. And I want to end by saying this. Baptism not only brings fire, it brings family. When you are baptized, you are brought into the family of God. We're all baptized. We all can truly call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ because we all have the same father and we are all sons and daughters of the same king. A status that is more lofty and more noble than any other status. And yet at the same time, it's a gift of grace because you and I did not earn it. In baptism, the father looks at you and he delights in you. In baptism, you are connected with Jesus' saving work. And through baptism, because of baptism, the Holy Spirit is in your heart, constantly working, constantly renewing, constantly burning. Amen. We'll continue.